0: Again for another edition of the Wrestling Stoop with the legend himself Bob Roop and I am your co-host Ray Russell along for the ride here again this week as Bob continues to tell his story of the Amarillo territory back in 1971. This week Bob going to talk all about his feud with the Fighting Funk family of course Terry and Dory Funk Jr. as well as father Dory Funk Sr. Bob also going to discuss his very first heel turn in the world of professional wrestling took place right there in Amarillo. And we're going to be discussing that and so much more here this week. But first, just a quick reminder, guys, that you can listen to the Wrestling Stoop and other shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories, the Glory Days Grapple Con with Barry Rose and Captain Nick Massey, and coming soon, the Pro Wrestling Academy Podcast with host Dan Gianetti. And Let's not forget about Monday Warfare, the battles within all about the Raw versus Nitro Monday Night War. As we tell that story one week at a time, you can listen to all of those shows and more, all part of the WrestleCopia podcast network located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met. From Apple to Spotify, Pocket Cast and beyond. And be sure to follow us on social media. You guys can follow Bob Friend Bob over at Facebook.com slash Poor Bob Roop. Bob looking forward to hearing. From each and every one of you, you guys can also follow me on social media. Follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R A S S L I N Grenade. Also, follow and like me Facebook.com/slash Rastling Grenade. And while you're at it, why not subscribe to YouTube.com/slash Wrestling Grenade? And last but not least, before we get the ball rolling here this week, now is a tremendous time to become a WrestleCopia patron talking about that $5 all-access tier over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, and that all-access tier going to get you so many gifts for just 5 bucks, including all of my insanely detailed show notes for every episode of The Grenade Show, Monday Warfare, and the Regional Wrestling Podcast. You'll also get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia, where you can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier, than the rest of the listeners. Then from there, it's remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show, covering the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality, plus new content and conversation never heard before. But that's still not all, guys. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, random bonus video drops, and of course, our Patreon-exclusive Watch Along series, covering many past WWF and WCW events. And you get all of that For the low, low price of just five bucks. Five dollars. No subscription. Cancel anytime. Show your support. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll like all the content that I offer. And every penny that I receive goes right back here into keeping the WrestleCopia podcast network up and running for the months and the years to come. And now with all of that said and out of the way, time to jump back into things here this week. Continue on our story with the Amarillo Territory circa 1971 and in order to do that we got to bring back the man who lived in himself here he is the host of the show welcome back bob roop
1: uh hi ray it's uh, it's good to be back with you my friend we're going back down memory lane uh again this week
0: i think all of this is memory lane bob that's the best part of it <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it's true you know uh the thing is when you're going down there uh I think maybe uh, in my memory, uh, maybe all memory lanes, what you uh, try to go along the sides of the path are flowers rather than weeds or thorns, uh, so that when you get into uh, good stories they're, they're, or when you get into stories at all, that they're good ones rather than ones that are unpleasant or, you know, bring back, you know, bad uh, thoughts and re- rekindle you with bad feelings and things that you, mm-hmm. you know, put aside for so long. But we're not doing that. You know, all this is, I try to get rid of, of those bad things so they don't mess up what's going on with me now.
0: Well, I would consider so, your relationship with Roy Shire a weed or a thorn. So we have discussed a little, <laughs> a little bit of everything here but uh, it's it's what, it's what made Bob Roop Bob Roop, and it's what, you know, the wonderful stories throughout so far, and we just keep going.
1: Well, you know, it's a good point. I just it made me think, until we started talking about it, I hadn't thought about Shire more than maybe once or twice a year. And well, uh, I apologize. About
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> having millions of thoughts a year, and once or twice a year, and that's kind of the uh, epitaph, in a sense, for someone what kind of life did they have in terms of impacting other people? You would like to have people uh, remember you for one reason or another. Maybe there's things that come up that remind you of them. In my case, maybe Thanksgiving parade, the Pillsbury old boy said, Hey, it looks Bob, like Bob Rue. Uh, uh But more people would have a good memory, <laughs> positive reactions rather than thinking, Oh my God, I don't want to think about that. So
0: Right. I get yeah. So. I think we've done a little bit of everything here, but certainly more so on the positive side of people enjoying the the great stories, lots of laughs. So uh, there's always that. And uh, hopefully we we cover a little more here. Maybe at the expense of you this week, we'll have to wait and see how (laughs) things go as we continue on in the wild, wild West, the Amarillo territory. Last week, guys, we talked about Bob arriving here. We talked about some of the names and you you got it right. I'll give you a seven for seven. As far as the stops go, you did call Lubbock lubble or something along those lines but i gave it to you anyway and uh, i think you did you know, great memory of you know hitting i guess i would too if i had to drive 1700 miles in three days but um yeah i thought, I thought that was awesome and that's what we're going to continue on this week bob with talking a little bit more about amarillo
1: yeah well i think about all those miles you can almost go into a coma on the road you know you're so used to well and and also i've mentioned it time and time again but one one of the most positive or interesting things that you might see after miles and hundreds of miles of absolutely no, any kind of eye candy out there, to see a tarantula walking across the road only because it's so unusual, uh, you'd think, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, after looking at mesquite and tumbleweeds and cactus and and, and dirt and sand, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, that tarantula, boy, that- that woke me up. Oh, there's something alive out here besides <laughs> me. That's <laughs> so, yeah. crazy to think.
0: Absolutely <laughs> crazy to think about that. But this week, we're actually going to go into some of the results. We're going to scroll through the results that are out there of your time in the Amarillo territory, take a look at some of your opponents and specifically how you were booked in the big city. Amarillo there, uh, your run to the top as they built you up slowly into a main event type position. And then Boom! The heel turn uh, against the funks of all people. We're going to talk all about that this week and a few other names maybe we'll we'll dive into as well if we have time. But before we get going, I just wanted to send out a special thank you to several wrestling fans and historians out there for their help with the research on this program. Some directly, some indirectly, but we greatly appreciate your passion to preserving wrestling history. We appreciate your contributions. Just had a, a few quick names at the top of the show here before we get going want to say thank you to Jeff Sharkey, your lookalike Bob, uh, once again, sending me a bunch of Amarillo ads and newspaper clippings of your time in Amarillo. Uh, He also sent me a few notes from uh, a few of your matches here we're going to get into. Also, thank you to Al Getz of Charting the Territories. Great research and podcast there with John Boucher. Al, actually, he did a deep dive study on the Amarillo territory in 1971, so it just worked out for us that way but he had some great notes, once again, in regards to your time there, specifically in your heel period. So I'm looking forward to getting to that today. And last but not least, I also, I mentioned briefly a couple episodes ago about getting help on research with your complete run in Bill Watts' Mid-South Territory. And I didn't want to mention the guy by name until he gave me the okay. Well, now I'm happy to publicly say thank you to Brian Ackman for his fandom in Mid-South and his detailed notes that he took while watching the TV program every week back then, thanks to his notes and vivid memories, has been very helpful in my preparation and research for when we get to your run in the mid south.
1: Oh uh, well, my thanks go along with it because these are all things that uh, trigger my memory, uh, having these facts and things because the, some of them are minor details, but that put together they you know they create a full full memory and. Without them, uh, it, doesn't re- you know, it doesn't rekindle mine. So I, my appreciation goes out, too. Thank you guys out there for doing that.
0: Yeah, I know when I first started researching your heel turn here in Amarillo, I actually caught pieces and information of the second week of your turn. And I was like, eh, okay, that wasn't too bad. But it just, there was something missing. And then I realized, oh, this is the second week. And then when I got the information for the first week of your turn, and I started putting the puzzle together, I'm like, wow, this is a lot better. And it was, well, we'll get to it later in the program, guys. But I just wanted to point that out, Bob. You you said you, you said, uh, to me, you were like, do you remember all the specifics of my heel turn here? I said, I'll go and I'll go do the deep dive. And uh, that's what I did. And hopefully, you know, it does trigger a few memories. And certainly, I can't wait to get to that point in your career here in the Amarillo territory, your heel turn, because you get to work the, all three of the funks. Yes, yes.
1: Uh, well, if, if you think about it, who, who would be over the most in Amarillo? Uh, I don't care if the current world champion, not not a funk, uh, right. came through there. The funks, Dory Jr., or Dory Sr. to start with, then Dory Jr., then Terry would be the three wrestlers that would be over by far uh-huh. anybody else coming into the territory. Even somebody that came there and stayed there for years. Even Ricky Romero, for example, because, uh, again, the funks, they got themselves over. Because they knew they could count on themselves to be there, you know, it was their business, so they invested in themselves. So for them, and the reason I say that is for them to put their own uh, credibility, their own uh, overness, you know, their their stature. Let's put it this way: as competitors, to invest some of that in me and trying to create me, it really means something as opposed to. Uh, well, for example, Pac song was in there then, and i I did a match or two with him and was, I think I beat him at least one or once or twice, but he was just starting that, and he hadn't developed the stature that he had after being in, around for ten years and going to different er- different territories and re- wreaking havoc, having having people like Gary Hart as manager uh and linked up with Gary and his the Gary had heat uh, based on all the people he was managing. So he was carrying a ton of heat around with them. And by being linked into that group, well, even being somebody like Paxan back then didn't have anywhere near, the, uh, back in Amarillo when he was starting, didn't have any anywhere near the uh, moment or, or the uh, importance of beating one of the punks, which I was looking at some of the past records. I was amazed. of of actually beating any of them, for that matter, uh, much less all three of them. So, yeah, that does tell a story.
0: You know, uh, last week I was reading some excerpts from uh, something that Dory Funk Jr. had penned online, just his brief memories of, you know, the Amarillo Territory. And during that, I did leave something out that I wanted to touch on at the top of the show this week before we get rolling into into your matches here in the uh, territory. He mentioned about the television program being on a five-week bicycle. And for those people that don't know what that means, we talked about how the tape had to be, uh, it took a trip from city to city in order to air. Well, it depended on the date it aired and whatever. And a five-week bicycle would would imply that whatever aired in Amarillo uh, this week may not air in some cities for another four or five weeks. And what that means is you guys had to keep track of what story was going on where at what time. It was different in every city.
1: Yes, and that you talk about <laughs> creating a paranoia uh, for a Booker, but they were on top of that. They were used to to doing that, that because that was the uh, that was the way it it, it it had to be. I think in Florida, uh, they'd made a weekly tape. Now it was delayed a week in Jacksonville because Jacksonville ran. They made the tape on Wednesday, and Jacksonville the show in Jacksonville, the live show was on Thursday. So there was no way that uh, the TV tape that they made on Wednesday could be seen. It wouldn't be seen in Jacksonville until that weekend. On Saturday, it played in Jacksonville. So whatever they did on uh, in the studio in Tampa, the snake pit there, wouldn't be seen until Saturday. So Jacksonville was a week behind. And you go down there, and, and uh, I remember, well, this, this is a good time to bring it in. Okay. Uh, it reminds me of it uh Dusty Rhodes and I did an angle uh on television. I won't go into detail, but uh, he left me he left me laying on T V and then we were booked in we were booked in Jacksonville and they hadn't the T V that we did it on uh hadn't played in Jacksonville yet. The week before Dusty and I met in the main event, uh they'd had two ring Battle royal. Andre had been there and uh, Dusty against somebody, uh, top guy, and it was a big house. I think it was, I might have been like $32,000, which has been pretty big money in those days, especially in Jacksonville. So Dusty and I came in there basically in a cold match in the main event, a bad booking, really, because you'd think you'd want to give us the benefit of what we did on TV to give me some credibility uh going in there because i didn't have any any angle i didn't have any heat at all Beast to be uh, dusty so we went in there the week week afterwards we i think our house was uh 30 it was one thousand dollars less i was working in an office then so i had access to these figures it was a thousand dollars less than uh it had been the week before for the two ring battle oil mm-hmm. and uh that was the one where uh, Dusty came back, and after the match, and I, he beat me right in the middle of the ring. I was, I had, I was bleeding, and I'm trying to, you know, wipe the blood off my face. And he came in the little side dressing room where I was in there by myself, and he said, "Hey, great, great house." He said, "It's up, in it?" I said, "I was stupid enough being young and green, and in the booking, and with with uh, serious uh, ego ego I said, uh, actually, no. It's, you know what? It's down a thousand bucks. But I tell you, I said we're in here cold. It's a hell. It's a hell of a. It's a hell of a house. Right. And he he looked at me. He was looking <laughs> at me in the mirror. I'm looking at him in the mirror. He's looking at me in the big mirror. He says, Well, let me tell you something. He says, uh, I'm in the big leagues now. And if you if you can't measure up, he said, I'll get someone else. Walked out of the little room and went back to the, uh, his own private dressing room. And I was I was absolutely astounded. But now, we'll get on that down the road, but now right. I understand where he was coming from compared to where I was at. He was in the big leagues. Let's put it this way. We just had a Super Bowl yesterday. If he was like the quarterback uh, for the Kansas City and the homes. right? Uh, he was like the quarterback for our promotion there. And he also had the office hold. I mean, he, he ended up getting points in the office while he was still there. So he was, you know, he was, he was in the big league. And at the time, oh, you talk about being upset and frustrated and insulted. Here I am bleeding from the guy just letting him beat me. Not only that, but the day before on television, they left me laying in the ring. And here's a guy telling me, if you can't measure up, I'll get someone else. Uh, yeah, I was seriously offended. But again, looking back at it now, I see where he was coming from. Now, I don't think he should have said it. I think it was okay for him to think it, but for him to say it, he's looking at a guy that could say the guy lost it, could go out there and make him look like a little kid who can't find his lollipop if he wanted to, but no, nah, I would never do that. Maybe he knew that. That was, And the reason, again, uh, Dusty was thinking that, or maybe he was assuming that the uh they seen our angle down there, but I told them. Boy, what, what, what I'm talking about? I told him. I said they haven't seen the TV here yet. So anyway, uh, yeah, it was a week delayed. But for all the other towns, they would get the tape out as soon as they they would make copies. They make dubs of it and get them out as soon as they could. Uh, and Amarillo, couldn't do that. I mean, how are you going to do it? They didn't have UPS then. Right. And uh, the U.S. mail. You know, boy, you wait till the next day and mail it. You have no idea. No way of knowing if it's going to get there.
0: Dory did mention something at, at some point in, in that time period about a bus. So maybe they put it on a Greyhound. I, have, I really have no idea. What maybe. They were, I don't know what they were doing there. But yeah, it's still, it's something else. And that didn't just happen in Amarillo or in Jacksonville. I mean, that was everywhere. It happened in Mid-South. I know in Memphis, as crazy as this sounds, as late as the, the late 1980s, they were at least three weeks off in some of the smaller towns. Three weeks in the late 80s. I mean, by then, wow. there's, there's you know, there's things out there where people can start getting some information and they would redo some of the angles. Uh, maybe they vacated the title of Memphis one week. Three weeks later, it was, you know, vacated the same exact spot in Louisville. You know, it's like, well, guys, you guys are really taking a chance in, the, in this period in time in wrestling. But yeah, so, I mean, it's not something that was just specific to Amarillo, but I just thought, man, five weeks on a bicycle. That's crazy. I mean, you guys really got to keep up with what's airing where, uh, you know, so make sure what's hot and what's not. Uh, do we do this angle yet? No, not for another three weeks. Oh, okay. So can right. can I
1: give you let me let me let me give another story? Yeah. Uh, about the tapes. I was working uh, with the Papos, Ronnie Garvin, and I, and Bobby had gone with them when our our takeover bid in Knoxville didn't was you know we basically just ran out of ran out of money and realized we weren't going to be making it. So. We end up going to work for them, and uh, anyway, I was in Knoxville. I was uh, even though we, they were based in Lexington, Kentucky, which was I don't know a hundred, couple hundred miles from, 150 miles from Knoxville. I was in Knoxville at the time, and they had me drive over to uh, Nashville, and it's about oh, I don't know three or four hundred miles. I had to borrow. I remember I borrowed a, a vehicle, my own car. I had got in an accident with it. I borrowed a a vehicle. I borrowed a, a little Japanese vehicle from uh, Buddy Landell. And I drove seven hours uh over from from Knoxville to get over to uh to Nashville. And I I got there and I, I, I walked into the building and here comes Randy Savage and uh and old man Popo and they're yelling at me. Uh They haven't seen the tape yet here. They didn't have to see tape. Get out of here! Get lost! You can't be here. So I I had to turn around and go back and drive seven hours back home. Oh my God! Yeah, I I no cell phones,
0: huh?
1: Yeah, I didn't even get a paper pay off for it you talk oh, about you talk about a miserable day oh well, man angelo
0: Papo involved i didn't expect you to get any type of pay for that i was gonna make a joke when you were talking about a taping bicycle in the icw i was gonna say uh that probably hasn't even reached all the cities yet here in 2024 but
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i'm surprised Yeah, angelo didn't charge me some that, way for
0: that is uh, a, for showing up they, they, they could, you could yeah. have exposed everything you owe me a hundred dollars yeah. i'm taking it out yeah. of your next 17 paychecks because <laughs> yeah, yeah no that's yeah, so that's that, pretty that's pretty crappy <laughs> that's a hell of a, well, and yeah, a half. Well.
1: Uh, you talk about how needed to have some kind of a feeling for being in the business to put up with that kind of crap but If you had to yeah. do that even once a week i never i never would have lasted in the business having to do that uh but but you know what that reminded me in a way of amarillo we going back to where we're at mm-hmm. geographically in our talks because right it wasn't that much like in that, there was like seven hours one way, half hour out of the vehicle, and then seven hours back the other way uh, with, you know, there wasn't even like a couple of hours of being at a show and doing a match and whatever, having a break.
0: And Angelo, I, I'm going to guess that he didn't even bat an eye. He didn't think, geez, this guy just traveled seven hours. It's kind of shitty for me to send him on his way. He just didn't give a shit and said, no, we don't need you yet. <laughs>
1: Oh no, he didn't care. No, he didn't care about that. As long as it didn't cost him any money, he didn't care. <laughs> the miser. I, yeah, when I get down the when we get down the line, I'll tell you a story about when uh... I did have where he had to he had to pay a thousand dollars that that day at, at a match. He had to pay a fan out there thousand oh, yes. bucks. Yes, and oh, you should have seen. He was trying everything in the world he could do to keep from having to pay that money. And uh, that's another good story we got Uh, waiting down the line.
0: Yeah, old uh, Angelo fought the law, and the law won there, I think.
1: (laughs) Oh, big time. uh, (laughs) Sounds like you know the story.
0: Yeah, I've heard it, but I I don't mind hearing hearing it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, here. So I look forward to that here on this program. Sounds Um, good. Yeah. Uh, but we'll we'll jump back into Amarillo for now, guys. And I'm gonna Bob. I'm just gonna run down some names that were here when you were here. We don't have to touch on any of these because you've actually spoken of some of these guys in the past, and some we've already talked about. You said you didn't really have a whole lot on, but I just want to give everybody an idea of all the names you were encountering here throughout this six month period. Guys like one of the top draws, one of the top heels, Cyclone Negro, uh, Jerry and Nick Kozak, Ricky Romero. Mr. Wrestling's here, Gordon Nelson under the hood. That was one of the first people you encountered in Florida when you, when you got your break back in 69, he's here in Amarillo with you. Also JC Dykes and the Infernos are here at this point in time. So again, more people you're familiar with. Uh, We talked about Nick Roberts, who was a promoter and wrestler. Bobby Duncan was actually, he was here a little bit, but he was actually leaving to Florida because he was working his way in there. He beat you for that brass knucks title. When you were leaving Florida, we talked about Alex Perez briefly El Santo and the McGuire twins working El Paso and Albuquerque. A few more names that we didn't really discuss yet. Uh, I'm just going to run through them. If any of them catch your ear, if you're like, oh, you know what? I remember this guy or whatever. We can touch on it. If not, we'll move on. But just more names that we didn't really mention last week. Uh, You get your start. One of the guys you wrestle a few times early on, a guy by the name of Salvador Dominguez, kind of a, I don't want to call him a prelim guy, but a little underneath there, Don Duffy, uh, Woody Farmer was your tag team partner a few times early on. Pac Song, you've talked about Pac. Uh, Lorenzo Parenti and Bobby Hart, great, great heel tag team. Um, oh, yeah, they were good. Uh, Luke Brown, big Luke Brown, uh, who would go on to yeah. team with Grizzly Smith. Uh, Apache Bull Ramos, Duke Myers, and a guy by the name of Lightning R. Jones, who was also Sonny King in a, in a previous and future uh, name. So I, I know you've uh, h- had experiences with Sonny King because you said he hung out with sputnik when you did so you kind of it was through through association that you knew of sonny king but if any of those names ring a bell here parentium bobby hart luke brown any of those guys
1: uh really i'm sorry but not not nothing really comes to mind okay. nothing on the road or in, the, in a in a match or anything that no that stands out which is no i mean think about it over over the years, you're you you you're in so many different dressing rooms, oh, for including sure. foreign countries, that, mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of things tend to run together, but uh, nothing there, really.
0: Okay. Um, so this was funny to me, so I wanted to bring it up here. Back in your trip to Japan, to the JWA, that night one matchup against Okuma, you come back home to Florida, and Okuma follows you to Florida. <laughs> now you're off to Amarillo, and Akuma again follows you to Amarillo. Did you? Did you like, are you following me? Like, what are the odds <laughs> that you never met this guy in your life? You go to Japan, and now everywhere you go, there he is. And he gets a pretty good run here in a, in a tag team with um, Masayo uh, Koma. And th- they're going to late. I think Koma goes on to work for All Japan until he retires after this uh, United States run. But it's just funny. Three places in a row, you run into Akuma here.
1: Wow, you talk about the coincidence. They uh, <laughs> you say, I you don't believe in it. Well,. If that's not, I don't know what is, because he's, why would the guy want to follow me? Yeah, I don't know no. if he'd healed up from the time <laughs> I pounded on him in, in Japan. But uh, yes. yeah, that that was all forgotten, I think. My uh, remembering of the uh, Japan match with him was because I was young, and I didn't have a, a like a treasure chest of memories built up. Or a Pandora's box, let's put it that way. I mean, they're I think, not all positive. So uh, I think everybody uh,
0: that works Japan, they'll remember their first match in Japan. It's just slightly different than here in the states. So I get it. And then, of course, you guys, you know, beat the crap out of each other on top of that. So
1: there's always that. right, right. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I don't remember ever being if we were in a, if we were in the same dressing room in Florida or Amarillo. I don't remember talking to him. I Any mean, length. Like, I'm not sure if it's possible he didn't know much English. I knew no Japanese other than Kanishiwa, you know, a few of the hello, goodbye, and right. uh, how much is the pizza or something like that. Itchy uh, Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, again, as far as personal interaction, uh, it's just not there. Mm. I, I do, I still recall though, uh, looking at him and, and I hadn't looked in the mirror yet and noticing that he. He was his elbows and knees and parts of other parts of his body were all, some of them were bleeding a little bit and some all of them were had red splotches. He has red splotches all over his chest and shoulders and, you know, uh, looked like one of his ears was popping up. So I do recall that. But uh, when I saw him in, of course, in Florida and in, in, uh, in Texas, that was completely different circumstances. I was in Florida, uh, he was a newcomer. Really, I was—I had been there for a while, and uh, in Amarillo, I was figured in, so to speak. I didn't go out there to be a preliminary guy, because the way they were building me in, in Florida, I don't know why but the the folks would have to come out come out there just to you know put people over and do jobs right. to right. build other people. Well, it wouldn't it wouldn't mean anything uh, unless they built me first. And the bill, the, we, we'll get into it. But the what they have been, the way that they had been building me, they were planning on me staying there a couple of years at least, because they were building me up to have some lasting stature there. For sure. Having me, sure. me beat everybody.
0: I think even though we're gonna get into some of the stuff you do here, as crazy as it might sound, I feel like that was just the beginning. Like there, there, there was gonna be so much more to come, and that was just kind of testing the waters, getting you ready, so to speak. But man. What a job they do, man!
1: Well, you know something. You're, you know what? You're, you're exactly right. Because not that much later, uh, I told you I, our audience that I got a call in Leeds, England. Zoe uh, Fox Sr. ran me down. How he did it, I don't know, <laughs> uh, because I wasn't in touch with anybody That's back right. in the state. Yeah, I, I don't that. know. I have no idea how he got found out that I was there. But he called me. I was staying with the wrestling promoter, George Orozco. And Leeds, England, and uh, my girlfriend and I stayed with him for a month, which is another story. How could you possibly go to some guy's promoter's house and think it's okay for you and your girlfriend to stay there for a month? We're just going to crash you know. here. Yeah. Uh, that's another story. But then he could, uh, then he could uh, run me down, mm-hmm. senior I'm talking about, and find right. out I was there. And he offered me 800 bucks a week, which uh, today's money was that, two grand? Oh, a lot so, more than that,
0: Bob. A lot more
1: than yeah. that. Yeah. So he was offering me some serious money to come back there, which all that goes to say is it has nothing to do with me and my stature, but it has to go to say with what you're saying. They had already invested so much into me, it would make sense from a financial point of view and a business point of view to get me back there and try to get some of that back.
0: Oh, yeah. you know yeah. take
1: take advantage of it uh if I did get over even stronger and stay there and draw money for them i mean cycle and stay there for eight years if I could do something like that i mean they would be great yeah you're you're exactly right and and the idea of thinking that they had put they had, they were billing me for a mm-hmm. a long future not something oh you stay in here six months or a year yeah oh and also in a way that even if I was not there for a year or two, if I left, then I could come back, and they wouldn't have to build me all over again. I could come back, and within a week or two, I could be a in main, a main events again. I could even start uh, a return visit by, without people even knowing I was going to be there by right. running into a match, somebody's match, and yeah. uh, beating, up, beating up a baby face, right. and... And then you're back on the scene and you, you get figured in that way. So, well, that's yeah. what we were
0: talking about with Bobby Shane. When he knew when he could leave, when he left Australia, he could come right back and be plugged right in in the main event of yes. Florida. And that's kind of yes. what you could have done here, you know, had things been a little different, had the uh, Amarillo territory thrived uh, moving forward as well. But right now, it's doing pretty damn well, especially with the everybody that's on top here. But I was just looking at the results. You come in, your first match, we talked about it, your last match in Florida, July 1st, two days later. You're in Amarillo for TV, July the 3rd, Bob Roop over Sal Dominguez, and it begins there. You work Bobby Duncombe, who you just worked in Florida, Mr. Wrestling, who was uh, Gordon Nelson, you remember him. uh, Some tag team matches, you teamed with Woody Farmer, some, like I said. You wrestled against the Infernos and J.C. Dykes, no strangers to you. The Infernos, by this point, they were doing the the clubfoot gimmick. I don't know if you remember that, where they loaded boot. Uh, a lot of people think the Grappler, uh, Lynn Denton, started that, but it's it started way back when. I believe in the 60s. I think Frankie Kane was one of the Infernos when they started doing that. Let's see. where, where you got Jerry Kozak here. And then it begins. The very first matchup at the sports arena in Amarillo. Bob Roop over Don Duffy, who was the very bottom guy, but uh, by all accounts, a very solid preliminary guy. And uh, basically top to bottom, I'm looking at the roster here in Amarillo. It doesn't doesn't get any lower than Don Duffy. And I'm not saying that, I'm, I, I know that sounds terrible, but I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm trying to point out how solid the talent roster was.
1: Right. Well, the way that they put me over, uh, even if it was with someone who had been beaten before on a regular basis, uh, was a way for me to also to, if, if nothing else, if I couldn't do anything else, was to get that finishing move over, you know, the shoulder breaker. Mm-hmm. And uh, i pretty. Sure, I think I was using it by then.
0: Yes, you definitely were, because we're gonna we're gonna discuss yeah. a very important match later on that you used to defeat yeah. someone with that move.
1: So, because that was such an unusual move, in fact, I never saw it used during my career. A lot of times, uh, you have a finishing move that looks fantastic, and uh, you know, you go back to the area you left where you just demonstrated six months. Earlier you go back there and all the all the preliminary guys are using your finish as a high spot.
0: I was gonna say by the nineteen eighties a lot of guys were using that move just as a, another move in the match.
1: Yes, yes. And what just uh I understand why, but it's stupid really, because uh I there's certain moves. I mean I you pile draw a guy in a chair or something, he really shouldn't kick out. Right. Uh you know, unless it's maybe Andre or somebody, but then well, not. if you
0: can if you can pile drive Andre, <laughs> exactly, can, yeah, exactly. That's More power to you.
1: That's what so. I was saying. Wait a minute, <laughs> who's gonna if you got a hippo in there, what you know, help you pile drive Andre? Oh, uh yeah.
0: I think maybe like a Stan Hansen or a Terry Gordy might have been able to pull that off based on their size, but Andre would have had to been very cooperative, no doubt. Oh, you know what would have
1: been funny? A funny spot with Andre is if you acted like you're, you got him down, you hit him with a gimmick or something in a chair, and uh, or you're not down, but you just got him selling a little bit, and you act like you're going to try to pile drive him and, and before he, you you can't even budge him. And then he just goes ahead and stands up with you draped around his head and stands up, and you you're still hanging on for dear life. And he just reaches up and kind of plucks you off pulls you around in front of him and just holding you by the throat with one hand and sticking, shaking his finger and your face with the other, shaking his head and going, no, 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 that's not a good idea. And then, of course, just obliterating you. Wow, that'd be a funny spot to me. But
0: uh, uh, <laughs> Well, we know what super. you would have booked with Andre.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh well, I told you we told you the story about, or I told the story about Bobby and I.
0: Yes, I love uh, that one. Uh, yeah, when you guys yeah. get too much heat, and Andre's laughing.
1: Well, if people if people really do like somebody, or and they did, they liked Andre because you could count on him to come in if a heel really need needed a, a thrashing. Andre could do it, or at the very least, he could embarrass the heck out of people. Uh, where the bad guys. Would leave in a sense, vanquished. They weren't able to beat him anyway. So uh, the fans liked him, and so if he looked if you looking like you're going to kill the guy, uh, yeah, they will. You think who would want to think you need to rescue Andre? Yeah, good, good, good times.
0: Well, that was uh, Andre versus B Square, Bob Orton and Bob uh, Roop there. So yeah, yeah that, that would have been yeah. good times. I would, I would love to see that. It's, it's just uh, funny stuff. It feels like an Andre rib. Uh, right on the spot. So your very first match in the sports arena in Amarillo, it's a win over Don Duffy. Reportedly, it goes five minutes and 20 seconds, pretty quick squash, opens the show. And uh, I mean, it goes from there and they do kind of a quick build. We're going to see every week you build up just a little bit more. You're in some tag matches against Parenti and Bobby Hart for the titles. By all accounts, uh, you know, they were just as over as a lot of the singles guys here. They were a huge tag team managed by Buck Robley during this period.
1: Yeah, it was... In a, a lot of these South Texas uh, towns, wrestling uh, was, I don't think, I don't know if there was a convention center or a concert hall in places like Odessa. Mm-hmm. I love I, it was big enough that it was, but some of those smaller towns, uh, I don't know if they, if they had them. Now, of course, uh, El Paso and Albuquerque and Amarillo and Abilene, and those towns had you know the normal features of of a major city, but a lot of smaller towns didn't. So if you went in there, wrestling might have been the only, let's put it this way, if they did have concerts or things, they didn't have them every week. So wrestling coming in there every week, week after week, uh, was something that was steady that folks could go to, Mm. and that would be their entertainment, and it would be, uh, yeah, it would be a big deal. What was happening then would be a major part of their life because it's not like being in Los Angeles where you're trying to run a wrestling promotion and there's six or seven other kinds of professional sports trying to run the same night you're running yeah uh, you know that's really not a lot of fun no. except for the <laughs> fact you do you do have millions and millions of potential ticket buyers out there but I prefer to have uh, uh, like a monopoly on whatever the business is in terms of what night you're gonna you know run your show oh, you for don't have a, of, no have a lot of competition no competition, yeah. So, yeah, I think it meant more in those small towns uh, that they got more seriously involved <clears throat> because there weren't that many things dividing or taking away their attention. Plus, they got the TV every week, you we assume. And I don't think they'd run a town if there wasn't a TV going in there. So they had their TV every week. Then they had a live show. Well, there's uh, if you're in a little town like Odessa, you, there you've got some. I don't know. Dustin might be a humongous today, but at the time it wasn't much. Or I mean, I'm not, don't put me down. It's a great place, but it wasn't a major, major metropolis. So, yeah, it would. What was going on with the wrestling would make would have have a, a lot more import importance than it would in in places like Madison Square Garden, for example. So, sure, I get you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, luckily, you know, for New York city, there's just so many people there that it kind of worked out for them, especially when Bruno was, uh, head of the top of the heap there. But, um, no, we go back here. I'm just looking at some of the, the numbers that some of these uh, cities were doing. Some of the smaller cities, I think it was Abilene was doing somewhere around 2,500. Meanwhile, I think Lubbock was only drawing around 11, 1200 every week, but this is the one that popped me. It looks like El Paso is doing around 2000 or so, 2,300, 2,400, something like that, but We talked a little bit about El Santo last week and what he meant to the wrestling business and especially the Hispanic fans. And uh, I was looking at this, and El Santo had not wrestled, I don't believe, in the year of 1971 for uh, the Amarillo Territory. He had finished up near the, the end of the year prior coming in and doing matches. So he finally makes a return after more than six months here, and you're only in the business, or only in Amarillo for three days, and you walk into a crowd. This is normally... 2,400 fans, a crowd of 7,300 fans out to see El Santo here on July 5th. So I thought that was a pretty big deal here.
1: Was it my first time in the town?
0: Yes. Yeah, it was your third day in
1: the uh, territory. Wow. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Duh. You know, at the time, I had no idea that he was he was what drew it because right. I didn't have any, I had no idea of a history of the town. Yeah. Well, I, it was clear that when, when he went out and worked. I remember watching his match. That when he, when he went out and worked, you could tell that he was by far the the attraction there. So I mean, probably three quarters of the crowd was Hispanic.
0: I was just gonna say we talked about how he, you know, he worked El Paso and decided it's time to go make another movie.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. But I mean, well, I'm sure he got paid pretty well there, drawing almost triple what they normally draw. That's a, that's a lot of people to come out there in a town like El Paso. Seventy two hundred.
1: Well, you never know. I mean, Gory Guerrero was, was the one paying him. And who knows? I don't know what kind of payoff guy Gore was. Uh, I don't see, and again, I don't remember. I, payoffs weren't my concern uh, for years. Uh, they became uh, one. And mainly because when it got to the point that I, you know, there was no way you could ignore the fact. Uh, well, I'll give you an example. Working against Jack Briscoe in a non title match because it was supposed to be a title match but jack got caught up in that deal where jerry jr uh got hurt on the ranch and couldn't switch the belt to jack anyway jack was supposed to be the champion when he came in he wasn't but i worked against him in fort worth and i don't know if we went an hour it doesn't matter it was a it was a it was a good match and uh it drew the building was sold out and Bon Eric paid me a hundred bucks, Trust Bon Eric, wow. and I, I left my, you know, I went and talked to him about it, and he tried to, uh, well, we'll get into that in the future. We'll go down, we'll go back, we'll go to, to Dallas when I get there. But I ended up leaving the chair. Ter- I, I ended up giving my notes because of it. You know, he thought I don't know why he thought he could get away with that. Yeah, ended that's up, insane. Well, Fort Worth wasn't a major place, you know, it wasn't a Dallas Coliseum or anything. But I think the house was. Uh, maybe eight or nine or ten thousand dollars, and so to give uh I don't know what he paid Jack, but to give you know one of the guys in the main event a hundred bucks, uh, I guess he thought he could get away with it. But
0: right, I'm just thinking here with Gory uh, promoting, unless he has some kind of a deal going with El Santo. I'm thinking Santo. They, there was an agreement made, pro- likely before he came in for right. x amount of bucks uh, guaranteed, because uh, he Probably. doesn't have to work there, especially coming back no. you know six seven months <clears throat> since his last appearance. But uh, we'll we'll go back to the Amarillo loop every week here on Thursday. You worked on Duffy in your very first match in the sports arena. The following week, you follow up, you wrestle Mr. Wrestling, which is Gordon Nelson under a mascot, and you defeat him. Match goes about 17 minutes, but there's a little context to this. You beat him by count out. But for those who don't know, Gordon Nelson, as this Mr. Wrestling mask character, he had just come off. It was a very brief, like a month run but he was a uh, uh, for he was the Western States heavyweight champion. He had defeated Terry Funk, lost it back to Funk a few weeks later, but he'd just come off a very brief run, but he beat Terry Funk for that Western States title, which was the main title here in this territory. And now here you are two weeks into the company, and you're going over on him, even if it's by count out.
1: Well, I, I had no idea. Uh, again, I didn't know the difference between the preliminary guys and the Made it, well, I mean, I did. Uh, the Fox weren't, I never saw anybody <laughs> named Fox in one of the first two matches. But uh, my bookings were up and down. Yeah. Uh, and they were in Florida. Sometimes in the same week, uh, and again, I'm, I'm only giving this as a, a way to show why I thought the way I did, was in Florida and some towns where I might be, have get, be getting a push. Uh, I would be higher on the card than than in other towns, uh, where I might be in the, say the third match, and then the town the next night I might be in a like semifinal special match up up like the fourth or fifth or sixth match. I never paid much attention to that. It didn't. I didn't have any resonance with me that uh, they should have, but it just didn't right well they, so, they
0: they hammer it home here because this this second week you're here july 15th not only do you go over on mr wrestling by count out on the same card they also give you a big push and win in a 17 man battle royal so two wins on the same show uh and you've only been here what, less than two weeks oh,
1: you know what <laughs> sounds like they're pushing me
0: <laughs> a little bit that's why i said it's a It's not necessarily a a really fast track, but, I mean, you can't get much better. I mean, other than just throwing you right in there with the funks, even though nobody knows who you are, you can't ask for much more. As we fast-forward another week, July 22nd, Bob Roop defeats the Inferno, the Clubfoot Inferno. Uh, That was a huge deal down there. They did the loaded boot gimmick. And the Infernos, as well as Laurenti, Parenti, and Bobby Hart, those were some super over tag teams, like just as over as some of the main event guys here. So you defeating the Clubfoot here with J.C. Dykes, the Clubfoot Inferno, that's, that's a pretty big deal. You're beating one of the, the upper-tier heels.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, looking at it now, yes, it was. At the time, well, think about it. In My first week there, I didn't know who was who. And I, when people were screaming and yelling, I wasn't sure why sometimes. Um, now, of course, I knew when people were getting heat. Well, for example, the classic move of that tag team was when they do the illegal switch. And, you know, one of them would be laid out unconscious or mm-hmm. apparently crippled or something. And they would distract the referee somehow. And they, uh, the one unharmed one would slide in and act right. like he was the one that was hurt. Every time they did that, everybody in the building stood up and screamed their, their <laughs> lungs out. And that, that was pretty apparent. Uh, yeah, they got a ton of heat with that stuff. And the the thing that, again, made it good was these guys were perfect at doing it. They didn't, they didn't screw it up. And what I mean perfect, they did it like just a couple of seconds. It didn't take them long to get it done. And that was what uh, saved the referee and put the heat where it should be. put it on the heels. Uh, if they'd have taken forever to do it, the referee would have been the one that had to get uh, police protection to get the referee out of there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, like were, they were...
0: Everything I read, it seems like it was a perfect marriage for them to... Obviously, they were brothers anyway, Rocky and Curtis Smith, but... J.C. Dykes, you know, just perfected the the trio like it was like a triad of goodness there because you had Dykes on the microphone who could also work in that managerial heelish way he did as well. He works quite a bit here uh, in the Amarillo. I was actually shocked how much he works, if you want to call it that, uh, against Dory Funk Sr. So I would have loved to have seen that. He's also working with Buck Robley. They have a feud going on. That had to be interesting, the Infernos and J.C. Dykes versus Buck Robley and Parenti and Bobby Hart because nobody's really well liked in that whole group. So you have to you have to wonder wow. fans fans had to really love that.
1: Yeah, everybody's you like it when everybody's getting beat up. <laughs> there you it's go. Like when, when you're watching you know, your favorite baby face get beat up. You don't like that. No. But when you when the heels are pounding the crap out of each other, it'd be like a okuma and i were both heels yeah. and people <laughs> be screaming yeah yeah i'll kill it like, well which one it doesn't uh, matter yeah i was gonna say either, who, either, who, either who, one who do you want to
0: win i don't care as long as they beat the crap out of each other first yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. yeah, as
1: long as they cripple each other first i'll be happy but yeah oh yeah well they uh those towns were made for uh those kind of uh, a lot of times the, the buildings were smaller and more intimate and you were like right on top of the action like in uh, Odessa and uh some of the smaller towns to where uh you know the fans are almost like part of the show like a stage play where they I were part can't of i can't them.
0: imagine how hard hitting some of these matches had to be because like you said sometimes in some of those smaller cities especially the chairs would be almost up on the ring and so to make yeah. things you know you had to really lay things in and there were certain territories where they just laid it in but i'm just looking at all these gimmick matches lumberjack matches russian chain matches I can't imagine like, Terry Funk over Harley Race in a Russian chain match. I can't imagine how brutal that was.
1: Oh yeah, and 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 those guys. Now Terry got hardcore later in his career. I mean, really hardcore, right? Uh, in a sense of deliberately uh, going out and doing these oh, just ridiculous <laughs> moose yeah. salts off the, the floor. <laughs> top, you know, yeah. just yeah, it's just absolute insane stuff. But uh, at the time, he wasn't, it wasn't the business wasn't that way. But you know, we had people like we we're talking about. Don Fargo was doing. He his book was called Hard Way. Yeah. and uh, he would uh, deliberately, uh, rather than using a blade, he would he like lay he wanted to get punched and and busted open because it was his way of showing the fans that uh, this was real. And certainly it was. I mean, when they were doing that, that was real. Now the fact that it was kind of set up and agreed to by both parties uh, might take some of the uh, the importance out of the rea- reality there, but still it was real, and he could go out there, you know, with his by his eye uh, opened up, and you could see it, you know, the blood uh, pouring out. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he walked back to the dressing room, yeah, well, that was Don's way of saying, you know, I wanted to give the fans their money worth and uh, their money's worth and but Terry hadn't gotten there yet later on when he uh, uh he got into the hardcore thing and you're to do some like be on the same kind of a level with Nick Foley uh, and the thing was that Nick was younger Terry was by this time had been taking bumps for 20 years or whatever and already was beaten up uh, and then he started trying to do those moves and I've been reading, I read a book of Terry's book in the last couple of weeks. Kinda of try to jog my memory about our time at Amarillo together. For some reason he didn't write about my time in Amarillo that much. I can't figure out why. Mm. I mean I don't maybe know what we'll, his problem was. Maybe the what his maybe problem we'll was. Figure
0: that out before we get to the end of this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. What, a, what a terrible what a terrible slight to leave me. I mean I, I gave my all for wait a minute. Maybe I didn't give my all for Amarillo, but oh yes. uh, yeah. I'm, I'm well, glad you didn't write there. Amarillo gave them all
0: for you. I mean, you yeah, know, you I'm know glad you
1: right didn't there. Yeah, the biggest disappointment in my <laughs> entire career was not, not the time I broke my back, but the time Bob Roop, that weasel Bob Roop, left the church after we all busted our butt to get him over. The next yeah. day he walks out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I look back on it. I'm amazed that those guys ever even. I saw a Senior or a Junior. A few years ago, down at uh, Barry Rose's uh, Fan Fest in Tampa, mm-hmm. uh, Dory Funk Jr. was booked, and I saw him and hadn't seen him in years. And he was very now. Now Dory wasn't Junior wasn't in Amarillo during. He only came to Amarillo. He was
0: he was basically part time. It was his it was his family's promotion, but I know he was world champion, so he was traveling a little.
1: Right, before. and the only place I worked with him was was in Amarillo. Okay. He wasn't ever you know, in Albuquerque or no, he was, at least if he was, I, I don't recall it, but yeah, I worked with the program. I worked with him and I was amazed. I remembered one match. I remembered the title match, but apparently I had a Texas death match with him where I went oh, yeah. over.
0: I can't. Well, well, don't, don't spoil it now. We got, okay. we got to build okay. to it. I
1: yeah, thought you okay. were a booker.
0: I thought you were a booker, Bob. Come on.
1: <laughs> well, uh, so <laughs> yeah, but, but, You know, I all those tubs I got dropped in my head. all oh, the back, CTE, huh? Oh, some see. of them you're doing pretty
0: them, damn good for for your age, so I, I don't
1: want to hear that some of them took <laughs> t- t- a while to manifest themselves, yeah, they're showing up lately. <laughs> I can't find my way out of the bathroom but, wrong. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. oh. but anyway, yeah oh my uh
0: no, we're good we're, we're 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 rolling right along, we're still on track we're talking we're talking Amarillo, so we're back in it's, it's all, back yeah. in the
1: bathroom with Bob, yeah, yeah. there you
0: go. Oh man! Oh well, I mean, week one you work a prelim match. The fi- next two weeks you go over on basically upper card heels, and you're winning a battle royal. And then the f- and I'm going to take a stop off here real quick in Odessa on July 27th. I- I'm sure you don't have any memories of this specific match, but it caught my eye because you haven't been in the territory a month. And here's the- here's uh, the main event. It's Terry Funk and Bob Roop teaming up to defeat the team of Cyclone Negro and Mad Dog Harley Race. Two out of three falls. Wow! Ain't that something? I saw what it, a mess. I looked
1: at it, yeah. I looked at it myself, and I thought, "Man, what?" I don't know what I was thinking at the time. I mean, <laughs> the fact that I don't remember that uh, at the time, I wasn't in awe. I wasn't. I didn't have stage fright or anything. But I mean, I I'd already worked, you know, with some main some top guys in Florida. But yeah, I don't. I didn't really. Well, you know what though? Harley hadn't been world champion yet. In fact, I didn't know anything about Harley until I worked against him. I never saw him until I worked against him. And uh, I don't know if he'd been to Florida during my time there or not. I don't remember. But So he didn't have the stature, and Terry hadn't been world champion yet. And Cyclone, I didn't know him either. In fact, I it was about a month ago when I was looking up Cyclone's background, I saw this guy. I told you I'll repeat it because I'm still amazed by it. 20-some trips to Japan and 20-some trips to Australia mm-hmm. during his career. I mean, my goodness. You talk about I me. Again, you, you got to be over if they're going to bring you back all those times. You have <laughs> That have, many times. Uh, yeah, you yeah, got it, you got it in somewhere.
0: Some kind of talent going yeah. on for you. Yeah. Well, he stayed yeah. here in Amarillo forever, and he stayed on top, and he drew. He never got old. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's amazing how much work he did here on top in the Amarillo territory for as many years as he did. And I, I get that Cyclo Negro maybe wasn't a, a nation- nationwide star, and I get that Harley Race wasn't world champion yet, and Terry Funk was more over here just in Amarillo than maybe as a world champion because he hadn't got there yet. But, I mean, in hindsight, when you look at this match and all three of these guys that you're in here with, and you didn't, maybe you didn't know that because you hadn't been here before, but all three of these guys were main event huge stars here in Amarillo prior to your arrival. So right. it's, you get inserted in here with three of the very best. So it's, it's, it's amazing.
1: It is. And it's, again, why I'm looking back now and going, you know, senior, Dory senior, wherever you are, please forgive me. <laughs> I, well, I shouldn't have done that to you, but we're going to blame Eddie Gray. Well, I can't do that either. I mean, I, I you talk about kicking somebody when they're down, but I, that's what I should have told him. Eddie said he only wanted me to come here for six months. <laughs> that's what I should have told would well,
0: have. they would have called Eddie, I'm sure. Eddie, what's what, this... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, so so you're you're beating uh, some some tough talent. Obviously, you're starting a main event a little bit here in tag team matches on some in some of the other cities and then they bring you back July 29th in Amarillo and you're beating some of the top tier heels but not the main event guys. So, they take it a little further here. July 29th, Bob Roop defeats Killer Carl Cox. Uh, so they just can every week it's just another tier higher and higher here. I mean, they're, they're meticulously booking this. Bob, how dare you do this to the funk family? I
1: know it. <laughs> and I, you know, I saw another one. I went uh, 45 minutes. Broadway was Carl, mm-hmm. uh, which I look back again. I look back and the idea of going 45 minutes, just uh, look back and go, I didn't realize I, I had that in me. But, of course, I didn't have to. Carl could have worked with a, you know, was... We always say if you could a good worker and work with a broomstick. Right. Um, I did see Garvin go Was against the Invisible Man, and I, he had a. I've heard that. <laughs> he had about half the people. Well, I walked into the building, Johnson City, Tennessee. I walked in, and we were late, and that's why uh, they all <laughs> the heels got held up. And I walk in, and uh, Ronnie Garvin's in the ring alone. Well, the referee's there, but Ronnie's acting like he's got somebody he's tied up with somebody and pushing them in the ropes there's nobody there i'm like you know i thought like, well did somebody slip me some uh lsg yeah 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 chris are you around you you with me or something uh, because i thought well, what's this and i asked one of the fans i said well what's going on he said well He's wrestling the Invisible Man. <laughs> oh, and man. I sat there and watched it for a couple of minutes. But as soon as Ronnie saw me, he went ahead had the Invisible Man do a job for him. He'd be oh, okay, <laughs> I was going to say. Out the... <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Uh, uh, half the people were absolutely just farting at it. But there were there were people there that had, for some reason or another, Ronnie just kept pretending that it wasn't. He was good enough. He could do all. He would he beeled himself. Now he couldn't slam himself, (laughs) but he 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 could do all these bumps and things like somebody was actually doing it. And let's face it, we watched think about the movies that we watched with the Invisible Man. They would do the gimmick where there'd be a cigarette in the the lit cigarette in midair. Right. Uh, you know, you couldn't see the person holding it, but obviously, you know, you then you could visualize a man standing there holding a cigarette. I, I you know, I heard people say, oh. That doing that kind of thing kills the business. Well, it didn't. Uh if Ronnie had gone out. They they had already we were a couple hours late and it was a good house. It's always that was always a good town, especially the way, you know, with Malenko and Garvin and Bobby Orton and myself and they didn't want to have to cancel the show, which really hurts the town and give the money back, which promoters that's against their religion. They just never would, Want to do that unless I don't know what I guess if the building burned down with the people in it they might might want to refund uh, maybe half the ticket price to their to their the bereaved but uh, so yeah Ronnie they went out there Ronnie put every match he could out there and then uh, he'd already wrestled I think twice and he so wouldn't anybody left for him to wrestle against so he he put in a quick call the Invisible Man he came in and. I never saw anything like it, but Ronnie Garvin is an exceptional talent. So, you know, again, you just listening to it sounds absolutely, I know, just ludicrous, insane, whatever you want to put say. But I'm telling you, uh, there were people standing and watching that match, who, and they were, they were all pulling for Ronnie. I don't remember anybody saying, "Hey, Invisible Man, get in. him." <laughs> Had to be something to behold. Sadly,
0: there's oh, no footage of man. that, but man. Oh, that story's been out there for years, and it's uh, it's it's fun that you were there for it, too, at least most of oh. the match, anyway. I'm calling it a match here. Geez, he's even got me hooked.
1: Uh, well, I was so, a heel. I right. was a heel walking in, and I had well, I was heat, trying to, so that... I was trying
0: to picture a heel, Bob Roop walking and going, what the hell's going on in the ring to a fan? I mean, that's how like dumbfounded <laughs> you were at this thing. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm looking at it. I wouldn't normally. Now, because... We wanted. To, I wanted to let them know we were in the building. I had the guys drop me off so I could go through and let know whoever let whoever was in the ring let, let them know I was there. Now I didn't want to be standing out there with the uh, you know with the fans. Uh, I wasn't dressed yet. Here you are. You're a heel. You got heat, and you're late too. Uh, you know I didn't want to take the chance of somebody come up and whack at me or whatever. But uh, when I saw what was going on, I had to stop. Uh, I was just going to basically scurry through there to the dressing room. To let whoever was in there, I knew I could hear, I could hear crowd noise. So I knew something was going on. You know the part that was interesting. Think about the referee. How? What does the referee do? Does he sit in the corner and uh, pick his nose or pretend he's asleep? He had to pretend like something was going on out there too. Right. And he was. He was acting like he couldn't see him, but something was throwing Ronnie around. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm telling you, it was a, uh, either a work of art. Or uh, popcorn fart. I'm sorry for that poor poetry, but uh, some people just the purists, You know, you've got them that criticize everything you do, no matter how good it is. You got people that just their life is made up to criticize things, and they say, "Oh, that killed the business and all that." Well, no, it didn't. We went ahead and now we went ahead and gave them the regular card. so they got an extra. It's like it's a Super Bowl bonus uh, match. <laughs> yeah, last night there was an extra fifteen minute period. So instead of having sixty minutes, they had seventy-five minutes plus uh, another uh, the second overtime period. A few a minute or two in that. What a bonus! You know, and that extra fifteen minutes was some of the best of the of the of the football game. Mm-hmm. So you know, what a bonus you get for your you know your your ticket cost or your right. uh, pay. You know. so us putting on our regular show after. They'd already had a show for an hour and a half or so. That didn't hurt the town. Ronnie ended up coming back again getting a match against Vilenko. I won't to say tore the building down, but I mean, they, these guys, they made people believe what they were doing uh, because they just were so good at it. They were, both of them were geniuses in their own way. And when they worked together, oh, man, matches are just beautiful, just poetry emotion. Uh, but, anyway, uh, where were we, we were, in, were in Amarillo in the bathroom. Then we got to uh, uh, Josh Jones back to Amarillo. Okay.
0: You got to win over Carl Cox back July, with- July 29th. And uh, where do you go from there? Well, Carl Cox, a uh, main eventer in his own right. But the following week, August 5th, Bob Roop defeats Cyclone Negro by countout in a number one contender match. The winner to meet Dory Funk Jr. for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship on August the 26th and what was billed as the big 50th anniversary show. Now, I'm not sure how real that is or not, but it's the big show, nevertheless. Uh, And thanks to Amarillo fan Larry King for sending in the the notes there, uh, some context to the matchup. You defeat Cyclone Negro. It's on a countout, but he is the main eventer. He is a former Western States champion, a future Western States champion. He's the real deal, the top heel, and you score a win. And again, just by countout, but it gives you the right to take on Dory Funk Jr., and not just Dory Funk Jr., but for the NWA world title. And not just for the NWA world title, but the biggest show
1: of the year. I'm sorry, Dory. Oh, <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, uh, well, yeah, they were pushing me. I, I don't think there should be any doubt left in anybody's mind about that. I, you know, again, you can be getting experience, but you can't be getting knowledge. The knowledge, like in a, in a typical person's career, a uh, normal career, it would take maybe several years to get to that. You know, four or five years. Right. Jack Briscoe worked six or seven years before ever getting the push. He, I think, he'd been in the business nine, eight, or nine, ten years before he got to break in Florida, and uh, and became you know Jack Briscoe, the guy that uh, went on to become NWA champion. Now, he had some success because, you know, he had a great background. He looked great, and he was a good athlete, and, but he was small. uh was one thing that was held against him. But, you know, but he had, when you're learning the ropes, you had that experience of having gone to well, several thousand matches in five years. Of, you know, you're booking, so you work 300 matches a year. Five years, that's 1,500 matches. So you've gone to those matches, and you've had the experience of, what going on in those matches. If you're if you're someone who's watching all the matches, you also get to watch what's going on, not just from, from what's going on in the ring, but from what's going on with the audience, how they're reacting, and what difference audiences, like audience made up of Hispanics uh, in South Florida or an audience made up of, say, Italian people, of Italian descent, who are watching Bruno San Martino in, in Madison Square Garden. How are these people reacting to what's going on? So to be learning all those things to where you can you can bring that own knowledge to your own experience of what's happening to you, I didn't get that. I'm being put in these situations and I am I'm I'm grateful for it. I'm a, lot, I'm a lot more appreciative sitting here right now than I was then, apparently. But I didn't understand the gravity. I didn't understand what was going on. Uh if they had tried to explain that to me, it might have helped. I might have said, well. But I'll give you another six months. Although that was gonna, I would have been a hard one. But to be fair, I might have considered that. But they never did that, uh-huh. um, you know. Uh, but again, uh, going—I mean, going and having uh, beaten Carl Cox I, again, I didn't know his his stature uh, throughout the business at the time. He now he was a major star in Australia by that time. Or at least it had gotten over there. Oh, no, he
0: was he was a top draw, top heel draw over there for sure.
1: You know, I began being naive. I assume that if someone who is is a major star in Australia, then that means that he's a star, but not in wrestling. Now, maybe in if you're Paul Newman, you know, maybe in the movie business you are, but in wrestling... No, you can be a major star in one place. So they didn't have international TV. They didn't have national TV then, except TBS. You know, his stature in, in Australia didn't apply to uh, Amarillo. Right. And Amarillo, small town, small cards. We didn't have eight matches on a card. You know, we had five, maybe, maybe six, sometimes four, I think. But, three, and, uh, three and
0: four on the split nights, yeah.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I, I, to me it was, I, I don't want to say Little League, but it wasn't like being in Miami, you know, and, and all the color, I mean, you, we, we're driving into Miami, uh, palm trees, uh, beaches, uh, ocean, uh, you know, beautiful girls just, in bikinis. You just described
0: the-, the entire intro to Miami Vice.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly, and yeah. So you start the business. My first show I went to was in Miami, and so you're you're in that kind of in the building itself. We're in the Jackie Gleason Theater, uh, in the dressing same dressing room Jackie Gleason worked out of. Mm-hmm. And you know your uh, big houses, uh, ten thousand people there, and then you go to Amarillo and you're in uh, Odessa or even Amarillo itself. I don't. Do you do you have any idea? Or do you have any stats on what the the seating Amarillo? How much would the building hold?
0: According to Wikipedia, the capacity was sixty six seventy. Well, see,
1: that's not that's not huge.
0: Well, that's. Yeah. I think that's before <clears throat> seating on the floor. So, say seven thousand. I don't know. Some, somewhere okay. around there.
1: <clears throat> well, that's. I mean, that's respectable, of course. But I mean, it's not Master Square Garden. It's not Miami. Right. Yeah, I mean, a, a, again, I'm not saying that the, the size of the the, of the audiences and all that made it look low-class or anything. It's just for some reason, it, well, not low-class, but lower of lower importance. There's another factor. I was a shooter in the sense of having been an amateur wrestler. What I was doing now to me was, was not athletics in terms of what going out there was being an, an actor. You know, but a, a, a talent. You know, I'm Paul Newman's an actor. I'm so I'm not saying that that's a, that. Oh, he's just an actor. No, it's but to be good at it, usually it takes time. There's very few people that break in and are big stars immediately and remain to be remain big stars. Mm-hmm. Some of them are big stars and they burn out in a hurry. But well, so being in, in this business, I still, no matter what booking I was put into, I'm going against Terry and I are going against. Uh, Harley and uh, Cyclone. Mm-hmm. It just didn't. It didn't. It didn't register to, to me. It was. I wasn't saying to myself, "Wow, I'm really into a big deal here." In fact, I remember now it comes back to me when I when I was booked against Harley and I never. I didn't know who Harley was. I didn't read. I didn't read wrestling magazines. I already talked about this, so I didn't know the business. But when I worked against Harley in Albuquerque and we went 45 minutes, my main concern was not about. Well I'm working with who I was working with. my name of concern was that forty five minutes. How am I going to get through this forty five minutes mm-hmm. so I rush on that suit in, in Miami?
0: Well, you have a different perspective, especially back then, when you don't even know who you're who you're tying up with i I get it yes exactly
1: yeah. so i didn't the, the re- and the reason I'm saying all this is because I didn't realize the import then that we could give it now. Right. But I was I was in a super class, super upper class there and being put there only on the basis I assume of my background because I wasn't mm-hmm. like, like uh, we talked about Dick Slater and some actors. Slater was a guy that took to the business like you wouldn't believe. He was like a natural out there. I it took me like a, probably a year to get where he was in his first week. He just could go out there and just be anybody he wanted to be and I was stuck at being my, <laughs> right. I was stuck being Bob Roop. Sorry, we yeah. uh,
0: have to. No, no. Well, I yeah. mean, but we look at this. I mean, you you you've been in the business two years. You've been in Amarillo five weeks, and you've just earned yourself a world title shot against Dory Funk Jr. And then I'm looking just throughout August, they kind of cool you off a little bit, just getting you ready for that. Prepped the following week, you follow that up with just a, a singles match over Bobby Hart of the tag team Hart and, and Parenti. So. That's kind of interesting. But also, throughout the month of August, just some other matches. You talked about that match with uh, Carl Cox. You did a 45-minute draw in Abilene on August 9th. Now, there's a match in Lubbock. It's Ricky Romero. You're teaming with him against Pac Song and Carl Cox. You guys go to a draw there. So there's some other fun matches throughout here. San Angelo, Texas. You remember ever uh, working in San Angelo? Looks like it was on a Friday, a spot show. Texas Tornado match. This is a fun one, too. Texas Tornado, all four guys in the ring at the same time. It's a return match, I guess. The Cyclone Negro and Carl Cox versus, again, Ricky Romero and Bob Roop. So you got to work a little bit with uh, Carl here, for sure, in the summer of 71. So it's no wonder you have some fun stories and and memories of him. But uh, we get to the end of the month, August 26th at the Sports Arena, the 50th anniversary show. It is a stacked card from top to bottom. They bring the ladies in. We got big tag team matches. Cyclone Negro defeats Terry Funk for the Western States title earlier on the show. Haystacks Calhoun comes in to win a battle royal. And in the main event, it is the NWA world champion, Dory Funk Jr. defeating Bob Roop on a disqualification in three falls. And the referee here is Alex Perez. It seems like they would do that from time to time here, especially in Amarillo. Just use one of the the uh, prelim guys to uh, work as referee, especially for the uh, the main matches. Kind of, I guess, give a little more feel to it. Like we need somebody more important, just the average referee out here to, kind of maintain law and order?
1: Well, Alex had a amateur wrestling background. I think he might have been a, even a fighter, too, like a I don't know, a boxer, but I, he was a tough guy. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't see it. Uh, by the time I was there, I think he was past his, I don't want to say prime, but he wasn't being pushed when I was right. there. Let's put right. It was put that way. Now, well, of course, he was Hispanic, so maybe they felt like uh, maybe that would be helped via drawing card, right. but I certainly thought they felt that If there had been DQs going on because we were abusing the referee, having someone like Alex Perez in there would have maybe eased that concern, the fans, that they're not going to be able to get out of it by just throwing him around or, you know, punching him out because he can punch back. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why they did it, but that makes sense to me uh, if if that might be one of the reasons why.
0: Right. Well, I was just looking at the results of this world title match here. It says, Bob Roop took the first fall. You pin Dory Funk Jr. with the shoulder breaker. And then Dory comes back in the second fall to defeat you with a sunset flip. And this is where it starts, Bob. It says, in the third fall, Bob Roop had Dory Funk pinned for the world title. But referee Alex Perez saw Dory's leg outside of the ring, and so he stopped the count. And angered Bob Roop then picked up Dory's title belt and swung it wildly, hitting Perez leading to him being disqualified. So you were disqualified the third fall. You lost your cool there. It says afterwards, Bob Roop then pounded on Dory with the belt, and he had to be pulled off by four other wrestlers. So the turn begins here. You lost your cool. You felt the world title in your hands, and then, oh, no, his foot was under the rope.
1: Wow. You know, they had it out for me. I beat Jack Briscoe in Florida, too, and (laughs) I was a champion for 25 seconds. and. Buddy Fuller ran down there and stoozed me off, and said I hit him with a knuckles, brass knuckles or something, and they took my belt away from me. I was—I should have been NWA champion twice. I no wonder I got a bad attitude. <laughs> so your heel turn starts. You've
0: been in—you've been in the company. Basically, that had to be their plan all along. They build you all the way up to the main event. They give you a world title shot, and immediately your heel turn begins. So th- it was kind of interesting how they didn't bring you in as a heel and build you up, but they made you very credible as a baby face, and you did some teaming a little bit with Terry Funk, it looked like. But here you are, you you begin your heel turn here, but it continues on, because now that you've done that to Dory Jr., I should say, uh, we turn around the following week, September 2nd at the Sports Arena, a double main event, and one of them going to see Dory Funk Sr., going to maybe exact a little revenge for his son. You're in there with the dad now, Papa Funk uh, battling Bob Roop here, it says Dory Funk Sr. scores a win over Bob Roop on a disqualification. And thanks to Michael J. Labee, or Labay, sorry if I'm pronouncing your last name incorrectly here, but another great Amarillo fan, he sent this and he said September 2nd, 1971, Bob Roop was part of a double main event in which he faced Dory Funk Sr. while Terry Funk went against Cyclone Negro in a Russian chain match. That's important, Bob, so just remember that. It says, in the match with Sr., Bob got the upper hand and was about to jump off the top rope onto his head. Terry then rushes out from the babyface locker room, but Bob Roop cowardly runs into the heel locker room where Terry chases him inside. Moments later, Terry Funk comes out, I guess basically collapses, lying in his own blood on the floor in the arena. Obviously, Bob Roop had uh, attacked Terry Funk or Terry ran into a sabotage. Back there anyway. Uh, But it says, even though Roop made his way to the ring to offer to take Terry's place in the main event, how nice of you. I'll take his place. I'll go for that uh, Western States title.
1: Uh, I'm I'm very very nice that way.
0: The fighting champion Terry Funk uh, reemerged and he got in the ring for the main event. However, immediately, this was a Russian chain match where you have to uh, touch all four corners. Cyclone Negro Mm -hmm. picked up the dazed Funk and carried him in all four corners to win the championship match. So you basically not only took took out Dory Funk Jr. last week, but you took out his father this week, and then you cost Terry Funk a match with Psycho and Negro for the Western States title. That's that's pretty damn fast uh, heel heel turn.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I. What could those guys have done to? You know. On a serious note, I just I can't. I'm trying to sit here and think why would I not have felt that something extraordinary was going on. And I had the answer. The answer is, in spite of all those masters you're talking about, in spite of me going 45 minutes with Carl and 45 minutes with with, uh, Harley, uh, I never made more than 700 bucks a week uh, doing all those miles. Mm -hmm. I never made, uh, I didn't get big payoffs. I'm not beefing or or crying about it now. I'm just making note of it. That's why, now, if I was making $3,000 a week and putting a couple grand in a bank every week, of course that would have momentum. It would be, you know, hey, it's a big deal, uh-huh. especially out here. But, you know, you're making all, and there's, here's another factor. In order to get to those matches, maybe I put in by Amarillo on Thursday night. Uh, maybe in the past four days prior to that, I've driven 2,500 miles. So those factors have to be taken into consideration. What we're talking about is what we saw on a stage. Right. And, but what you and I are basically giving our loyal listeners is what's going on behind the scenes. Well, what's going on behind the scenes is days and days and days of being in the cars, right. uh, <laughs> you know, missing things going on at home. Uh, you got a sick child or something. And sorry. Give me a bus while you're there. But you got a book. You, you got to go down the road. Yeah, well, I,
0: I mean, I get it with the, tra- the tiresome traveling. You know, the family issues you you had discussed already on the last episode and whatnot. All all of this put together, I get maybe it's not worth that uh, the story that they're telling in the ring. But I still think you know when we look back, how masterful this was to get you to where it is. You know, the fans oh, yeah. love, love the wrestling storytelling as well, and I, I love the behind the scenes looking in, at it through the eyes of the business person, the wrestler businessman versus just you know the character on the screen, as you as you said. And I totally right. get that, being able to look at it from, from both sides, but the story they tell here, your heel turn, and you get one up in the same night over the father, as well as the younger brother, basically trying to raise the ire of the world champion in order to get another title shot. So it's it's pretty damn cool stuff going on in the ring, but I get what you're saying about the behind-the-scenes stuff as well.
1: Well, you, you brought me back to uh, actually a better frame of mind, because... Yeah, what they were doing was building me up for to make more money and to make more money on a regular basis to be in the main events. Because uh, the the weeks that I didn't make uh, that much money, I wasn't in the main events everywhere. I wasn't like the main event or even a cold main event everywhere. I was in preliminary matches in some of the towns. So I wasn't going to get a main event payoff. Now, once I got over and had done the... As a result of doing things like uh, we're talking about, uh, I could have gone and been and made events just about everywhere to where maybe I would have made uh, 1500, bucks a week. Uh, and so it depending on how it drew. then how it drew depends on uh, my would have been my ability to have heat and enough heat that people really would pay to come see me get beat up. And with the funks, uh, senior aunt Terry, they had proven for senior for 20 some years and Terry for uh, however long he'd been around and junior had all proven in different ways uh, that they could beat people up or they could they could make them pay some way. Junior could do it in, in uh, like an hour of uh, torturous type wrestling to wear you down and end up getting his figure four on you. And Terry could just attack you coming in or coming out of the out of the gate, wait for you outside the dressing room and pound you all the way to the ring and say you're wherever. Yeah, you know what? The vaccine, the, the, the thing behind the scenes wasn't at all glamorous, but what you're talking about, what we came of it, of being able to go out there and, and we're talking about uh, giving wrestling fans, and I, I want to thank again the, the historians out there, anybody who's given us information of stuff we can talk about to help us remember it better. Uh yeah, those are those are good times for uh the our viewers, the people who are watching, and it, it gave us credibility. I wouldn't be sitting here now uh talking to you if those things hadn't happened. I should take back my, my crybaby act of a minute ago, <laughs> oh I had to be on the road all day and <laughs> uh they were building me up to make some serious money. What? And I was making decent I was probably making the equivalent of Oh, fifteen, eighteen, hundred bucks a week on today's money. Oh, back well, if then, if we you were
0: making seven, it was a lot more than that today.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But. Again, in order to have a personal life with my girlfriend, I had to take her on the road with me, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why I I ended up getting rid of the car I brought down there, and I bought it. That's why I bought the Volkswagen van, so she could travel with me, right. and if we needed to, we could sleep in it because those those vans had a a pulled out bed in the back so we could pull over the side of the road and rust stop or whatever. Because by the time I'd learned it now today you wouldn't you couldn't imagine it. In fact in Amarillo area it's not the same. But those state roads I talked about that went on for three hundred miles of mm-hmm. nothing. Right. There were no rust there were no rust stops. There were not only no new gas stations or any lights, hardly, least up, up in the distance.
0: Well, there only, no only
1: somebody that's a fool or out of their
0: mind would be tra- traveling down those roads, Bob. So. Exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, somebody desperate. So, yeah. Yeah. But looking back, they were working real hard to get me over. I mean, right. when the whole family puts their blood and sweat and tears into it, uh, what more can you ask?
0: Well, they did everything they could to get you built up to that position as a main eventer. You get a world title shot. You lose your cool. You turn on Dory Funk Jr. The following week, you you basically uh, take out the other two Funks in some way, shape, or form. You cost Terry the Western States title there. You take out Papa Funk, and uh, basically you were going to jump off the top rope and finish him for good, had it not been for Terry. And that uh, does indeed raise the ire of one Dory Funk Jr., who returns to the territory. A couple weeks later, September 16th at the Sports Arena. Now on the undercard, Terry Funk and Cyclone Negro continue to feud over that Western States title. But in the main event, listen to this one, guys. Texas Deathmatch. Bob Roop defeats the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Dory Funk Jr. Bob Roop going to the top rope, leaping off, and coming down with a stomp into the spine of Funk, rendering him unconscious unable unable to move now Roop was fined reportedly $500 for his actions there but he scored the win Dory Funk unable to get up after that flying stomp off the top and Bob Roop is the winner and what he what he refers to from that point forward on TV Bob Roop refers to himself as the uncrowned champion so you're the uncrowned NWA champion love that heel heat there but there you are you score a win and the Funk's Famous match, the Texas Deathmatch. You beat a funk in a Texas death Match here, the world champion.
1: Well, man, I know it was a work, but just the idea, I'm thinking back of watching, back when I was really green, I watching Dory Jr. and Jack go an hour, three or four different places, different times, uh, and then I go out there against that guy, I saw Dory Jr., who was this master in the ranks. Uh, and I've seen him where he's in front of 10, 15, 20,000 people and got them all just uh, spellbound watching him and got, just got him in his hand uh, for an hour. And now I've got, I give this guy a shoulder breaker. Yeah, again, I know it's, you know, what we're doing out here is, you know, it's uh, not for exactly real, but the idea that I had the stature uh, to be able to do that. It means a lot to me because I, I don't remember doing that i i wish i did like boy it'd be good to have tapes of yeah. this stuff um well what's 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 really good is you're not necess- you're feuding with the funk
0: family but at the same time you're not your your main feud here is with dory jr because they're slowly going to try to program you with terry and i do say try as uh, we will get into here in just a little bit but i was looking at this coming off of that match you defeat dory funk jr but he's back on the road defending his nwa world title so in the meantime They just kind of utilize you in other ways. You're wrestling. You're defeating Ricky Romero here on September 30th in Amarillo. Uh, We move ahead a little bit. And October 7th, you don't even have a wrestling match per se. It says three fans challenged to break your famous submission hold. I'm assuming you did the old sugar hold challenge here in uh, Amarillo. It says that this was in the newspaper. I actually have a clipping of this. It says three fans were unable to escape your finishing hold, your submission hold uh in, in some sort of a challenge here on this uh October seventh card in Amarillo. Any any memories of doing that there in Amarillo?
1: Uh no. But I it seems I odd that they would it.
0: randomly work that in here, but you are a heel now, so I guess it makes a little more sense.
1: Well I remember doing it in Tampa as a baby mm-hmm. face. Uh mm-hmm. yeah right. they I, you know they I don't have a problem uh now with that, but at the time when we got to uh, uh the Papos. Uh, uh that's a great story about yes. exactly, exactly this. <laughs> we got to the point where I told him, I said, look, well, when I broke into business, one of the things that the guys used to rib me about, I talked about Don Carson and and Dick Dunn. I'll go back to, I think, our first or second show. First
0: episode,
1: yeah. Uh, me being in the car and those guys not even talking to me, acting like, oh, oh wait a minute. I was the invisible man <laughs> because I was the invisible man in their back seat. Let's put it that way. But one of the things they talked about was Dale Lewis taking on this this challenger. Uh, Dale had the, the had the gimmick that anybody who could beat him would win a thousand dollars, and so he took on a guy in the ring in front of a crowd in Tampa, and he didn't beat uh, the guy didn't beat him, but Dale couldn't beat the guy, so it went like ten minutes, and that's just an absolute, basically an expose of the business. So, you know, Don and, and Carson were having fun. Like, saying, oh, yeah, those editors, you know, they can't, they can't even beat fans from the audience, you know. So, yeah, was, yeah so anyway, I'm in the backseat burning. But using that as a starting point, I always, I would tell promoters that wanted to do that with me, I said, don't let's do not do this. I said, there's, there's no good from it. It doesn't do any good. Uh, if you want to do it in private, um, in like a place like the Sportatorium or someplace, that's one thing. But to do it in front of a, a, an audience, there's no upside to it.
0: Well, it they, was little, it was that goes back to the Carney days of trying to beat the the, the big strong man, the wrestler, what have you. Really, is is what, what it feels like to me.
1: Well, it is. But see, there's no they. First of all, I had so let's say the week before, I had done a thing with the Fox where Terry Bloody Senior Jury beaten. A senior, whatever, and then the next week they want me to take on. And say one, say one of those those fans gets away from me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could see. Think I about see, it. Yeah.
1: Oh I, man, you talk about an expose. Talk about it killing your heat fuck. too. I mean, oh, it makes the fucks look like pussies. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it's just like, and I've told it just them. It seems uh, so
0: odd that they placed it here so late in your run. It, it's almost like yes. they didn't know what to do with you here while Dory's back out of town. So. They give you, and this goes on for, not not the challenges with the fans, but just random matches here for most of the month of October. Uh, you're wrestling Bobby Hart again. They got you against Mr. Wrestling. You do go over, obviously, but uh, you're just working, guys, I guess, waiting for Dory to get back into town. Now, Dory did return, though, uh, before any of that, I should point out, after that three-fan challenge the following week. Now, this is that's an excellent point that you just brought up. What if one of those fans had escaped because they had you booked the very next week on the 14th in October, uh, in Amarillo. Texas Deathmatch return, uh, world champion Dory Funk Jr. coming back, exacting revenge, defeating Bob Roop in 37 minutes. So you guys have another great right. match. This time Dory gets his revenge. He goes over as the world champion should. But it, yeah, right. you're right. What, what, what would that have meant uh, really for Dory to even beat you after a fan beat you? Well, broke your hold the prior week.
1: Right. Yeah. And the other thing it does is it kills me as a wrestler. Oh yeah, uh, Kills I I, he I, dead. It, it, oh yeah, I mean, not just having to pay the guy money or whatever, but uh, it, 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 especially a lot of times, without going into detail, the guy that got away from me weighed about 130 pounds. That's why he got away; he was too small. I couldn't mm-hmm. get, I couldn't put the sugar on line. Well,
0: That's like well, when my kids want want to break, you know, a full Nelson. You know, my smaller ones, you you put yes. it on them, but their arms are so tiny they slide yes. right out. Yeah,
1: yeah. You can't get, get a hold of him, can yeah, you? Yeah, I get you. Yeah. So that's how the guy got away. Plus, he was uh, apparently he, he did uh, uh, martial arts where he stretched. Mm. He was very limber. So, the matter of what, what happened, he got away. Yeah. And mm. so I'm standing there looking at a guy half my size. He weighs 125 pounds. I weigh 260. And he got away. Now, I'm supposed to be, uh, last week, I. I beat Randy Savage and uh, his mother, and and and, and now, uh, yeah, and now this hundred twenty-five pounder just got out of my hold. I mean, I started out in the sugar hole, and he got away. What does it make? I, I tell you, it's a potential disaster, for whatever little. What are you getting from it? And what they got from it, I really, I still believe to this day, I think there was a sadistic kind of a thing. But maybe it was a way, maybe they were saying, okay, we're going to have fans get involved to kind of make a kind of a, uh, a leap from being, all for the pros here and the fans here, we're going to bring them together, a pro and a fan, and show that the pro can easily handle a fan. Maybe that's what it was about, but I'm telling you, it was risky business.
0: Well, I tell you what just going back and looking at this this just came to me right now as i'm going back and just looking over the story they're telling here between you and the funk family it seems like i don't want to call them an afterthought but it seems like dory senior and terry were simply in here storyline purpose only for this feud which is really you and dory funk jr and now dory goes over on here october 14th so that feud essentially comes to an end and a lot of people would say well shouldn't you build it to the world title match and and i guess in in a lot of ways a lot of people would say yeah maybe he should have wrestled terry before dory but I like that they did this because now you're a player. We know you're you're a you're a main event caliber star. Now now that Dory has put you there with him, now you can go and work Terry for three four months or work Dory right. senior because now you're established. You're established immediately because right. you were working the world champion first. So I love that right. they did that. It, you know, obviously they had more plans than you did, but uh, I mean that's 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 neither here <laughs> here nor there. Uh, but yeah, just looking at that, Dory goes over on you. That part of the feud is over with Terry Funk slowly moving away from Cyclone Negro. And it looks like they were kind of building towards you and Terry next, which, you know, obviously uh, we we see a, a matchup here between you and Cyclone Negro and if you defeat him. You go over on him in uh, November 4th, uh, November 11th. Here we go. It begins. Bob Root battles Terry Funk to a draw in a two out of three fall match. So 45 minutes, 60 minutes, minutes. I'm not sure, but uh, you're working Terry here to a draw on November 11th.
1: Wow. You know, the Fox, the threesome, uh, they, they had a real advantage uh, with, for, for both Terry's career, for uh, Junior's career. And, of course, it helped Senior, too, having two guys, you know, his sons, two people he could count on as workers, as wrestlers in his own territory. When Junior was champion, they worked a deal, and I'm sure they might have done it in other territories, too. I know they did it in Florida, where Terry and Senior would come down. And they would get involved in, in Florida wrestling. Not they weren't on the road; they, they weren't there every night. But for special matches, they were they were trying to run in a, in a interference for Junior. Uh, they had to you had Jack with Jack Briscoe or whoever it would be. I remember Jack was the one that they were aiming at. Would have to go somehow go through Terry and Senior uh, in order to get to Junior. And it, it was it was a great way to. You know, to have collective heat for all three of them. But it and also it was a great way to uh, give stature to Jack Briscoe, for example, and because he overcame all three of them. But the three of those, those three guys together, having that advantage of their family tie, and of course they were loyal and they could trust each other and they were all talented. Yeah, that really worked out uh, in other territories, but it's especially effective in, in Amarillo. Think about. Uh, one territory, little little territory, and Amarillo having two world champions, uh, NWA champions, for right. a period oh. of, of of ten years or fifteen years, uh, just remarkable. Again, because Amarillo, no matter how you want to try to look at it, in terms of their their capability of of if they sold out everywhere, of how many fans they could draw, pale in comparison to like the Carolinas or or, you know, Los Angeles no, a, lot or, of, a
0: lot of the territories, yeah. Vince Sr., uh, Vern Gagne, a lot of the territories had much larger arenas, obviously. Right. yeah, right. Yeah, I get what it, you're saying there. Uh, it, it You know, and other than it being the Funks, and it was kind of in hindsight in my world as I was growing up, they'd already been the world champion, so it was just there for me. But I I get it, like, to have two sons, they're, they're brothers, obviously, and they both hold the world title, and they're coming from a territory as small as Amarillo is, as far as... The, some of the sides of the other territories,
1: right? Mm-hmm. I got you. Yeah, yeah. That was that was remarkable. Well, it showed the clout that that Senior had, and I'm not sure. I, I try to do some research and try to find out how Senior and Eddie Graham came to be such partners, in a sense, mm-hmm. in building up Senior for Dory Junior and Terry. And Eddie, for his interest in Jack Briscoe. Well,
0: luckily, Dory uh, and Terry both had, you know, were able to back it up, <laughs> being the world champion, I mean.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean in terms of physical ability?
0: Yeah, just, yeah, being able to hold that title and, and be credible.
1: Oh, yeah, they were, and Terry was, I'm. I, you know, I have no idea about Junior, but I'm sure he uh-huh. was capable. If you grew up a funk, you probably had to know how to fight. Uh, I know Terry, and you know, Terry didn't look for trouble, but. Uh, we talked in another uh issue about how uh he, a senior would get publicity by going to bars and picking fights right to show you know to do <laughs> they were doing promos in the bars so that that was legitimate, yeah, to have credibility with fans because you know everybody was always especially after now this is later, but after the, uh McMahon went out there and said well we're not it's not real, we are just sports entertainment. It was hard after uh, so many years of guys, you know, busting their butt to try to show that what they were doing was real. Yeah. What a betrayal in a sense. Yeah, Dorian, uh, one of the things that uh, Senior uh, had out there was the Texas, I'm not sure if what it was called. It was a, a boy's ranch. There was a, a place where uh, he took kids that didn't have, you know, were homeless and well, they might have had uh, something
0: that might have had something in common to do with Eddie, too. I think Eddie had something like that going on as well.
1: Eddie got it from Senior. Okay. Uh, yeah, Eddie got it from Senior. That's great publicity. I mean, uh, and I'm not being callous there. Uh, say you're doing it for all the right reasons. You're truly uh, giving and kind and want to help you know, those less fortunate. But it's also, in Florida, it was called the Florida Sheriff's Boys Ranch. So here we had, uh, you know, law enforcement involved, and uh, and they 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 plugged it. Uh, I don't know if on every show, but they plugged it on TV all the time. Right. So and they and we actually went up. Uh, Where was it called? There was a place uh, Spring, uh, named after a tree. We actually did a show up there a couple times. Went okay. up and had a wrestling show at the at the boys' ranch, uh-huh. uh, and then and, and the money that we uh, was drawn that went towards. Uh, maintain the boys ranch like the boys kind of donated their time or their match, so yeah, it was great publicity, which the seniors wanted to start it. in fact uh when he ran the ranch he he lived there, and their family lived there, and so Terry and junior had to be uh behave themselves and be uh as uh disciplined and uh responsible as those boys on the ranch were that's one thing senior did. A lot of these kids were trouble kids. The reason they were homeless was because they got kicked out of kicked out of their home or whatever, and because they couldn't behave. Anyway, yeah, I always appreciated that about, and and senior was uh, Billy Funk Sr. I really felt like, I liked him. I thought he was a good man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an amateur wrestler in college, and that's something we had in common. And, and that doesn't it's not for that reason alone that I thought he was a good guy, but I just liked him, being around him and everything. He was, had a sense of humor. and Like all promoters, uh, you have to be able to manipulate people. Uh, the ones who do it to get in their pocketbook are called con men. But uh, if you're just doing it to try to achieve your ends, uh, that's the way of the world. In uh, every, every relationship uh, between an employer and an employee, there's always some manipulation going on on either side. Uh, nothing new that happens in the wrestling business, but so box out again.
0: That's all where, right. Where are we? We're, we're getting we're... down to the nitty gritty, as uh, Gorilla Monsoon used to say. Uh, it says, uh, let's see, we come off uh, the November 11th show. You do a draw with Terry Funk, which is a huge deal. Following week, uh, you're wrestling Mr. Wrestling. Not really sure what that was about, but the, the week after November 25th, Thursday. So I'm assuming that was Thanksgiving. It's Bob Roop over Dory Funk Senior on a DQ. So maybe senior. Lost his cool there, but he he. Uh, you go over on him on a disqualification, and then somewhere shortly after that, I believe you give your notice because your bookings change drastically in some of the cities. You're starting to work where there's split towns. Sometimes you're working in the smaller city. You're also starting to do jobs for guys that you weren't doing jobs for prior. Not anything wrong with that, but obviously you're going out. You're on your way out. So, but they don't bury you or anything like that. I mean. Let's let's look the following week in Amarillo. You're back in the ring with Ricky Romero. Now, instead of going over with him this time, you guys are going to a draw, but they're still protecting you to a degree here. And at this point, Lord Alfred Hayes also uh, arrives and he's going to be part of that main event scene. So it kind of worked out for them. Even though you're leaving, at least they have somebody that they're plugging in there uh, almost immediately because Al Hayes basically, it seems like he takes your spot. And I'm not saying they would have booked you the same way they book him, but he goes in there, he works with the Funks, he gets the Western States title, et cetera, et cetera, right after you leap. So it's kind of interesting what could have been here. As uh, we look at your final week here, Bob, Mr. Wrestling going over on you, Pac Song scoring a win over you in B- Lubbock. Uh, Bob Rube gets a win, though, on the way out. Your final match in Amarillo is, uh, we talked about this pr- prior, uh, Gentleman Ben, the wrestling bear. Uh, wrestling Bob Roop. It says he beat you on a count out. I, I think you thought maybe you had his <laughs> his shoulder pin there, but it's kind of funny. You give your notice after everything they did to you and for you. Yeah, on your way out, it's like okay, we'll get him. We'll put him in the ring with a bear.
1: <laughs> well, I the 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 credit I get in the uh, statistic places, uh, I beat the bear in Odessa, okay. but uh, that's true. not yeah. it. I don't. I you know I tell you this is one I do feel. A remiss. I don't remember working. working. I don't remember going against a bear in, uh, in Amarillo. But think about this. Uh, they could take me uh, anywhere other than Amarillo and beat me uh, like a drum and get try to milk every bit of credibility that was put into me by people doing jobs for me and put me over. They could put that back into somewhere else. And that's why I've given your notice and given two weeks for that to happen is professionally correct and the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh you, you you know, you took other people's credibility they laid down for you, so uh it's your turn to do the same and the guys don't don't want to do that. but well, anyway, I won't go there. But they couldn't do that in Amarillo. Uh because if they did, think about Amarillo. I beat I should beat Dory Funk Jr. there. Uh I beat all I beat all three of the fuck there in one way or another. Uh, good
0: call, good call. Yeah. Even on the way out hey, they can't really bury bury you no. because yeah, you had just beaten basically all the funks in some way, shape. Good call. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh... They
1: can't have Ricky Romero beat me right in the middle of the ring. Uh, after the funks couldn't do it, right? So yeah, that's why they had to, they had to protect. I would I would want to say, well, it's because they were planning on me coming back. I don't think that was it at all. But uh, no, they they had to protect well, themselves. They couldn't just thrash me. I don't know if I would have. I don't know. I probably would have gone along with whatever whatever they want they would ask me to do just out of gratitude because i didn't ever, i didn't plan on ever coming back there i told them early on i repeat it I, my object in and the wrestling for pro wrestling was to travel but i would seen all i needed to see of southwest texas i'm sorry it's just not my i mean it'd be one thing if you say you had a, a you know a capper or an rb and you were going from place to place. There might be some great scenic places. You could find uh, off-road things. You could find uh, a, a cave network or uh, springs of some sort that are uh, you know unusual. But uh, if you had just, the
0: time to do that,
1: <laughs> yes, if you can, if you're taking a, a like a trip, a vacation. But to be traveling up and down those roads every day, to me, every day's the same, and it's just I don't know. It was boring, and I was young. Well, he's young in the business, and maybe if, as I got older, uh, as Cyclone was, by the time he went there, maybe he welcomed that. You know, but there were other factors. I'm sure he had his kids in school. Uh, He was able to buy a home there, and you know, uh, enjoy the ability to have a one of the great ways to make money back in the day before they started messing around with the banks was to buy a home. You bought a home for set amount, and then ten, fifteen years later. You sell it for four or five times that amount. Uh, and that was a way to make some money through real estate in your own home. So, yeah, it might have been fine for him. But I just I couldn't conceive of coming back to that kind of uh, existence. As much as I like, I like Terry. I like uh, Junior was hard to get to know. He was not very personal. He wasn't unfriendly. Senior was fine. He was one of the boys. Uh, Junior just kind of was in his own space and, you know, very. What, what are you gonna say? The guy's a world champion. He's a nice, big, tall, good-looking guy. His master's work is great. He's a, obviously a very, very talented person. So he didn't have to be nice to anybody if he didn't want to, but uh, being to be respected. Right. But uh, but yeah, I like those guys. I respected them all. But I, I'm sorry, it's my life. And and again, I I told you on, on the past uh issue we did uh episode we did that about my personal life being in disarray mm-hmm. um so well, that was another factor
0: i'm not sure uh, what day you actually finish up here i do have results december 11th in Hereford. bob root battles lightning r jones who was sunny king to a no contest but i've also seen that you, your final match was december 12th the following day in albuquerque against ricky romero but the story goes on tv you were injured by Romero and Albuquerque, so by for all intents and purposes, you're definitely gone after December 12th, but I found it interesting that they had been uh, promoting you at, at the next Amarillo show versus Terry Funk, so it looked like the feud was going to pick back up and really get going there, but you're gone, and Killer Carl Cox comes in and, and subs for you as you're already gone from the territory, and a couple of weeks later, you're back on Florida TV in your very first match back in Florida You return to defeat Oli Anderson for the TV title in your very first match back. So you get one of your titles back, the TV belt, now in Bob Roop's uh, hand once again, defeating Oli Anderson right out of the gate there. But that was your trip through the Amarillo territory, six months. You get two months in, you're working the world champion, you do the heel turn, you're feuding with the Funks, you get to work a lot of the other top talent in the territory, and you're back in Florida by the end of the year, just in time for Christmas. Uh, So uh, palm, palm trees or Christmas trees, take your pick, but... It's a pretty fun run that you had there. And you, you tell the story, you've told it before, about uh, they expected you to stay. You, they were doing so much with you when, when you told them you were leaving. They just they were blown away, like, wait, wait, wait Oh, wait.
1: God. <laughs> yeah, they, all three of them, well, not Junior, but uh, Terry and, and Dory Sr., they smiled at me. They thought I was ribbing. <laughs> you got to be kidding, you know. Because <laughs> if I'd have known the business, if I, if I had been smart, I mean, if I was experienced in the business... I wouldn't have started out by saying, uh, "Yeah, the reason I got you together here is so I want, because I'm giving you my notice." I would have started out by saying, "Look, I'm aware of the fact that I'm really taking liberties here, and I want you to know I'm so sorry, and I apologize, and maybe I can come back some other time and try to make it, but I'm I have to leave." I would have done something like that rather than just giving my notice, like, oh, well, I'm here. You guys put me over, like, a million dollars, but you know what? I, I missed a palm tree, so I'll see you guys. Give me two weeks from now, I'm going to be gone. See you. Have a good time. Have a good life. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have a clue. And that's okay. I mean, that's life. I mean, we we learn as we go along. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting. You talk about the, you bring up the, the master in Florida. Uh, I, told, I mentioned in another uh, episode that B- B- Buddy Fuller told me, We don't have any place for you. There's no place for you. Mm-hmm. And I said, Well, I'll take a couple bookings a week. He said, Well, you're not going to make any money. I said, Well, how much can I make? I've told you this before. But he said, 300 bucks. He could have said 100 bucks. I said, I'll take it. I just want to get
0: back to Florida.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. I'll get my foot in the I, door. <laughs> well, I think I knew that. Right. Uh, I mean, I didn't, but I I wanted to get back there anyway. Uh, it's it's kind of been interesting, isn't it? That within two weeks uh, I'm on TV getting a championship.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: we don't have any. We don't have but,
0: any place for you. Just <laughs> seeing what seeing what you would do. I obviously, and then you know ob- when you weren't budging, you're like, yeah, I'll take that money. I guess uh, they had to figure out something pretty fast there, and it didn't take long. Uh, you finish up around the 11th or 12th in Amarillo, and you're back working December 23rd. On TV here at the Sportatorium in Tampa. Of
1: nineteen of nineteen seventy one. Correct. Yeah. Wow. You know where I go next? from Florida? To Australia? I, no, in uh February I go to Iraq.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I well... took
1: I took the I took the, the I the, the title the T V title belt reminded me of that. Because they wanted me to bring a title belt with me, and I brought that. That's the I some, only belt I had. I guess I, I could have borrowed one from Graham, but I think they probably wanted to use it in the house shows so you know have the champion go yeah, out there I'm with not, a belt on. Yeah,
0: I'm not sure who the champion is by the time you go there, but yeah, you did recently win it here, so that would only make sense if they wanted you to bring a championship over there. Plus, Graham probably wasn't giving up his uh, Southern title <laughs> to take no. Uh, Take over to Iraq, so yeah, that's uh, Amarillo in a nutshell. Though took two episodes, wow. only. you know, it was it was a fun trip. It was a great time to kind of relive that and look at some of the history, the story told there by the the Funk family, and what could have been. What you know, what else, think about what your nineteen seventy two could have looked like there in Amarillo, working with Terry. You know, what stories people would still be telling about that today. But uh, you know, it is what it is. Hindsight twenty twenty, and obviously, you still went on to have quite a quite an interesting career in Florida and beyond. So. And uh, obviously, with Iraq not too far away in your uh, real life here in 72, it probably won't be too far off here on the show as well.
1: Well, it's a good point about, but I, you know, Ray, if I had stayed there, first of all, let me say this. Thank you for all the research you've done. Uh, you, you brought all the structure to what we just talked about by having all the, I looked up who I had worked against and things just to want to see what kind of memories they would stir up. But you brought all the salient details. Thank you to, uh, and thanks to the the, the fans, uh, our listeners who wrote in with information, historians, and things. Again, thanks to everybody out there who's helped us out that way. But I want to thank you for helping me uh, do my thing to be able to bring my memories out. And uh, on that on that token, uh, I don't think you and I can. Can look at anything that happened in the past and say it was uh, the wrong thing or, or even unfortunate. No, right. Because if, it, if we did, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: <that's laughs> we, we, wouldn't,
1: we wouldn't be doing we wouldn't this. Be where we're at right so we now. Doing, I get you. Yeah. 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 I didn't get my. I didn't get my. Um, well, the reason I got my honor, you know, my Hall of Fame things. I think is from, <laughs> for staying alive long enough, uh long enough to qualify. Everybody else was gone, but. But the other thing is that if I'd done anything different uh, I wouldn't have been able to travel and 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 do the things that uh, bring on that kind of honors right but uh, thank you again my friend for uh putting together all the all the little details and things that allow me to do what I'm trying to do here
0: oh man, you're absolutely more than welcome from my end. I just love listening to the stories and I learn so much myself as we go along in a I do the research and, and even as we talk, you know, I, I put two and two together sometimes and I, I, more, more revelations come. So it's, a, it's always a fun time, a great experience. And you never know what stories you might have that we might jog, you know, jog, jog your mind memory here and you never know what we're going to get. So it's, I'm always looking forward to that. And, um, we'll continue the research, uh, and we'll continue to tell these tales every week here on the program. I had a, I had a, a listener ask me this being February black history month, if Maybe, you know, before the month ends, we could tell a few tales of some of the stars. I know in the past you've talked about uh, Bearcat Wright, for instance, uh, JYD. So maybe we'll put a few, I'll throw a few more names at you, see if you have anything for that as well. Pay a little respects to some of the African-Americans who paved the way for their race here in the wrestling promotions. Because it was it was rough times, you know, back in the, the 60s and whatnot, uh, some of these guys. Uh, but some of them made it, and, you know, they, they did. They walked so others could run. So I thought maybe we could talk about a few of those next week, and see what else we we got on tap.
1: Well, it's great. Uh, T. T. Thunderbolt Patterson and I were pals uh, throughout, uh, off and on, for the first ten years of my career. Okay. And Ernie Ladd is someone, of course, who Rocky Johnson. Uh, you yeah, know, there's a lot of guys. A lot of guys uh, that uh, I got no, nobody that I uh, don't have anything to say about so yeah i'm looking forward (laughs) to that that'll be fun
0: that's that's awesome yeah that's 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 gonna be a good time guys so stay tuned next week it's gonna be our salute to to black history month and and if we got any time left on the back end of the show i'll throw you a few more questions as well but uh that'll wrap it up here this week bob appreciate you taking us back to amarillo texas and the the funk family territory that was a great time not a lot of people uh still around who worked that territory because it was it was dying by the end of the 70s and so you know you got to be Bob's age in order to you know really tell some good stories there the funk funk family era and I, I loved it man it was a great time.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, a lot more fun talking about it than was doing it. Uh, than but driving, uh, you it. know, absolutely. Oh yeah, good memories. Uh, again, having the, the the ability to be uh, around senior, yeah, uh, but not that much. But be around Terry and be in the ring with them and and with Junior. It was an honor, you know jr was a great champion one of the best actual wrestling mm-hmm. uh, champions around uh, i don't know fez might have been up, been up there with him but uh, jr just had this great psychology and you know it was an honor to honor to be able to work with him especially <laughs> looking at it now is so different than i looked at it then then i just didn't appreciate it i mean i didn't know what i i thought it was something i didn't think oh it's just another night right but i didn't it didn't have the importance that it does now well so i
0: I, I, th- I think it's safe to say there was really no hard feelings at the end of the day you said dory was your senior was calling you again trying to get you back there and, and you got to work with terry in florida and he, he lent you advice and whatnot so obviously it wasn't like a, a huge deal to where they were just done with you forever right. so that's got to feel feel good too in the long run but Man, just a, a fun trip. You know, I, I really enjoy, I hate editing. It's the least favorite part of my my job here is the the podcast uh, the network, you know, to get the show out but and make it sound, you know, just perfect as best I can. But uh, man, just going through that last episode, it was fun just listening to it again. So I'm sure it's going to be the same way with this one. And looking forward to next week and beyond.
1: Well, thank you, Ray Alan too. We'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. We'll both be back.
0: Thanks again, Ray says terminator bob roop i'll be back all right guys (laughs) that's gonna wrap it up here this week and all right guys that's gonna do it here this week on the program just a reminder you guys can go and follow bob friend bob over at facebook.com slash poor bob roop bob looking forward to hearing from each and every one of you there you can also follow me ray russell you can follow me on x formerly twitter at wrestling grenade that's at r-a-s-s-l-i-n grenade also follow it like me facebook.com and don't forget about that five dollar all access tier. Over at patreon.com wrestlecopia. So many gifts for just five bucks, and you're really helping out a great cause and keeping the network thriving. For five bucks, guys, you get so many gifts, plus you show us that you're there, you show us that you care. But for now, I am your co-host Ray Russell. On behalf of Bob, we'll be back soon with another edition of the Wrestling Stoop with the legend himself, Bob Roop.